0: My Comic Shop closed seven years ago, but along my journey, I've met other stores with colorful communities all their own. One of those is Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey, the oldest in the Garden State. Now, as it celebrates its milestone 40th anniversary, I am speaking with Fat Moose owners, staff, and customers through the years. This is their Comic Shop History. Welcome to Oldest in New Jersey, a My Comic Shop History event. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me for part two is the founder and former owner of Fat Moose Comics, Elon Strasser. Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you, Anthony. Glad to be here.
0: I'm glad we could connect. You know, you and I, as much as we have exchanged Facebook messages over the years, we've only actually spoken a couple of times. The first time was back in 2017. It was right before I went to Fat Moose for the first time to record an episode with then-owner Matt Patusik, and then then employee, uh, Sean Hendricks, now owner. Uh, and before I went there for that recording, uh, you and I spoke over the phone, and you gave me a lot of great history and context, and it was really, really helpful. And then a uh, couple years after that, we connected in person when you were on the East Coast visiting, and I was able to film you for My Comic Shop Country. And, you know, we spoke for such a long time, unfortunately, only only a few snippets made it into the final film, but you brought up some really interesting points about the industry and it was great to have that point of view represented, but I'm really glad that now we can sit down and have a, a full conversation about Fat Moose and, and everything that um, you've been involved with. Absolutely. So we will, of course, jump back uh, at a certain point to the origins of the shop, of course, but I want to stay in the present for a moment And ask you the the big picture question. You know, Moose is on the cusp of this 40th anniversary, which is quite the milestone. And I was just curious what your thoughts are on it. I mean, what does it mean to you personally that this store that you started is at this point
1: now? It means a tremendous uh, amount to me, actually. I, I can try to give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, of course, it's my baby. I started in 1982. Um, and then I sold it in 2014 uh, because I was moving to the Seattle area. And, well, I thought going into that sale, eh, no big deal, you know. I got a life change coming I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to go. You know, it's been great fun, but things change. And, okay, I get to the lawyer's office, and I sit down, and, it, the, you know, uh You know, it's going through and it's happening. And all of a sudden I find myself with a tremendous, you know, my throat is just choking up. And it's like the reality is setting in that this thing I put into motion, these 32 years of owning and operating Fat Moose Comics is actually over. So the fact that we're hitting 40 years now is just great. I'm so glad that it was picked up. Scott bought it. Then Matt had it. Now Sean has it. And the fact that it's still going to me is a testament to the community of people that shop there. And mostly since I've gone to the tremendous things that Sean has done to make that store probably the best it's ever been.
0: It sounds like there's a lot of pride there for for what Sean has done and, and you know, rightfully so. At the same time, is, is there any part of this that's kind of bittersweet for you? I mean, obviously we wouldn't be here had you not started and sustained the store as long as you did. But at the same time, now you're not the one at the helm for this anniversary. Is there anything a little bittersweet about that?
1: The only thing bittersweet, if that's the right word, is when Sean first found out that Matt was planning to close the store, permanently he had gotten in touch with me and asked if I wanted to buy my store back. I think, you know, that part of the history. And I, you know, we did some numbers, we did some crunching and, and I thought, okay, I will buy it. And so the plan was for me to become partners with Sean, Uh, the lease with the store I currently have here in Bellevue, Washington was going to be up a year and a half from that point, uh, which was December of 2019. And then, but uh, Sean decided to go with Scott instead. Scott spoke to him as to why he thought that was the better way for Sean to go. And so that's what they did. And there's no hard feelings or anything on my end about that. So, but I was going to use that as a launching pad to have a reason to move back to New Jersey and, you know, which is where my family is. And so, yeah, I was actually really looking forward to doing that and, and becoming a part of Fat Moose again but didn't happen and and, and that's okay. But other than that, I think it's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we are recording this and people will hear this before the actual anniversary and the big bash that Sean is planning. Uh, You and I had messaged, I believe I know the answer, but are you planning to to come to town for that still?
1: Yeah, I'm flying in on the 30th of uh, March and uh, April 1st is a Friday so sean has told me that he has plans for this friday and the saturday and i'll be there for both days
0: very nice well are there specific customers you're looking forward to reconnecting with anything in particular that you because i know sean maybe he's shared a little bit more with you behind the scenes as to what he's planning but i know i don't know he's keeping it a little a little bit uh, close to the vest uh, it seems but do you have any hopes or expectations for the actual celebration
1: not really. Um, I, I've spoken to a couple of customers privately and, and said I hope that they'll be there and, and gotten a positive response. Um, I know Sean was talking about a parking lot barbecue, uh, among other things, to have some guest artists there, some other things. But trust me, you I probably don't know a whole lot more than you do right now about what is planning. Uh, expectations, I don't have any at all. It's just going to be great to be there again, and it'll be great to see who I do get to see again from, from when I ran the store. Gotcha. Yeah. We're,
0: working, uh, you know, backwards in time a little bit again, before we get to the origins of the shop, I, I want to just spend a minute on the decision to sell in 2014, when you were moving across the country to, to, to Washington. And it, it's always amazing. And Sean and I have talked about this, the parallels between Fat Moose and my old shop alternate realities, because there was a period of time where Steve Odo, the former owner of alternate realities was engaged in a long-distance relationship with a woman he had gone to a music camp with when they were teenagers, and they reconnected, and she lived out in Arizona, and of course, he was in New York, and they would video chat and email and text, and, uh, you know, it didn't get to the point where he moved there. In fact, she moved here, but, you know, I always wonder, you know, the, the, the path not taken, I suppose, and, and in, quote-unquote, alternate reality, maybe there's a scenario <laughs> where Steve went there instead of her coming here, and then what would have become of the shop uh, so <laughs> I guess the main thing that I'm curious about is obviously you made the decision to sell. And I know you said when the time came, it was, it was tough to, to let go of it, but was there any reluctance to sell because you wouldn't ha- that you would be entrusting something that you built to someone else? Was there ever any feeling of, I would rather it go away rather than be in someone else's hands and maybe become something that I wouldn't want it to become. Is that, did that ever play a role in, in your decision process?
1: Not at all. It didn't even occur to me. And the reason it didn't was because since Scott was buying it, Scott already had Highlander games, which he owns that, or I think it's still a part of it today. And, uh, you know, he had the experience with that store. So I certainly didn't think it was going to fall into the hands of a a total newbie who knew nothing. And, you know, I I figured it was going to go in a good direction and it would be a good place. So I really didn't think about it. I certainly had no idea at that point in time, uh, Uh, The kindest way to put it, I guess, is the drama that would ensue down the road that eventually led to Sean becoming the current owner. I I didn't foresee that. But uh, based on my personal life, I already was committed to moving to the West Coast. So if it hadn't gotten bought, then I guess I would have simply rented a massive U-Haul. And just taking everything with me because my plan was to reopen again, as I did out here in uh, Washington. And so I would have just taken the store with me, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did.
0: Gotcha. Uh, if you don't mind a nosy question, obviously, you, again, you opened Fat Moose, uh, Fat Moose, Mighty Moose Comics out in Washington. Was there ever any any talk about making it a second Fat Moose location or was it always going to be a separate entity?
1: It was always gonna be a separate entity uh, from the start. Uh, I know Sean Sean and uh, Scott wanted it that way. Um, I think we're both known as Fat Moose Enterprises Incorporated, but of course the Jersey one is incorporated in New Jersey and mine's incorporated out here. The biggest fear was that, uh, and that's why the name of my store is Mighty Moose Comics and not just Fat Moose Comics 2 or something. The worst fear was that we would get each other shipments or there, cause diamond, you know, <laughs> you know, so there was, there was that kind of fear, at least on my end, but I don't think that's ever happened yet.
0: Gotcha. Well, again, going back to alternate realities, there's alternate reality comics in Las Vegas that I've been to and that's in the documentary and you know, yeah, you, you can, <laughs> you, know, you can run into that, uh, that potential problem. So yeah, I think that was probably a wise move, uh, to, to avoid that entirely. And, you know, as much as we are here, of course, to talk about fat moose, I'm curious what the mighty moose experience has been like for you.
1: Well, it's been overall pretty great. Um, I opened in a mall that I had been in a number of times. Uh, I, 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 visited, uh, the area five times before I moved here. Uh, you know, to visit, the woman that I moved out here for and all that kind of thing. Um, Suffice it to say, and all I'll say about this, that relationship didn't work out after I moved out here. But every time I was in that mall prior to moving here, I said, "Why would anybody open a store in this mall?" It was sort of like the Scotch Tape Mall on Saturday Night Live, if you ever saw that skit. Um, it, it's always empty. There's always empty stores. It wasn't really great, but it other you know, but it's worked out well. You know, I have a very specific kind of business, obviously, those of us who run comic book shops. And uh, I think, you know, my experience certainly played into it. We never closed during the pandemic as far as our recent history goes. The last two years, in fact, the pandemic years were the two strongest years the store has had. And um, so it's just been really good overall. We met a ton of new people. And I just got to sort of do it again from scratch. It was, well, it's a lot. Of, it's been
0: a lot of fun. That's that's awesome. You know, I don't have my finger on the the pulse of the industry maybe as much as I did a couple of years ago when I made the documentary. One thing I'm curious about: what sort of you know clientele are you dealing with? Is it the primarily the you know the traditional comic fan, the Wednesday warrior? Is it more of a mix? You have young people. Do you have women? Like what what sort of uh, you know uh, groupings are you seeing at this at, at the current store?
1: I'm seeing exactly what I saw in New Jersey, which is a very wide range of people uh, male and female customers, young and old. Um, the one thing that's different about this store um, than how uh, fat moose was when I had it is that the entire front half of this store is dedicated to an all uh, all age readers section. So we have tons of stuff for kids from age 6 to 15 or so, and then the back of the store is what you'd expect, right? So um, we're really seeing everybody. We've got hardcore collectors. Um, I have one guy who shall remain nameless to protect him, but um, his privacy, but he just started with us two years ago, and he has averaged $500 a week with us. He's a real heavy hitter. Um, I bought three collections one weekend, and by the end of the following Wednesday, he had bought all three collections from me. Uh, Just crazy stuff. So we have a couple, two, three other guys like that who are really heavy hitters. We've got the kids who just come in and are excited to get the latest issue of Spider-Man. We've got just the whole thing. We've got the Reserve Box customers. We've got the walk-ins. Less people than I had in New Jersey. Um, but it's a very similar town. Bellevue, Washington is very similar to Whippany, New Jersey in terms of demographics. So it, it yeah, it, it's pretty much the same overall.
0: That's awesome. No, that's great to hear. And yes, to have those, uh, those, those heavy hitters, uh, I'm sure that that helps a lot. That's some of those numbers are pretty staggering. So that's, <laughs> that's amazing.
1: <laughs> it, well, you know, I couldn't have done it without the one guy, but, uh, in two years he spent, uh. Should I say this? I don't know, but I will. He spent $60,000 in two years. That's like astonishing, you know? So he's our biggest customer, I, th- I think it's fair to say. Uh, but yeah, and but we have lots of people coming in. One and two and three books and everybody counts and everybody is important.
0: No, of course. I mean, I'm just thinking back to AR. I mean, you know, of course we had the regulars and, and within the regulars, there were the ones who would drop a lot in a week, but no one... No one came close to that and definitely not on on any kind of regular basis. So, good for you and good for him.
1: Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That <laughs> he's able to do that. I guess one other, you know, big picture industry question because when I interviewed you for the documentary and this did make it in there. Oops.
1: Just the cat. It's
0: quite all right. <laughs> we had, <laughs> so I'll I'll pull back the curtain for a second. I've I've recorded I'm recording these episodes a little bit out of order and I've already recorded the next one with two fat moose customers, Gene Cahill and, and Phil Menza and Gene's cat made a cameo in that episode. So I, <laughs> I think this is very much on, on brand for this run of episodes. But in the documentary, you know, you were talking about the publishers in particular and how you felt that they had lost sight of the core audience, the core readership. You know, we're a couple of years out or three years out, I suppose, from when uh, we filmed, maybe even more at this point. Uh, curious how you feel about it now.
1: Well, you know, I I know that when you interviewed me in New Jersey, I was kind of a negative Nelly and uh, about things that I really didn't want to come across that way in this interview. Um, So what I'll say is this. I think it's even worse now. I think the decisions that Marvel and DC both made in the last couple of years uh, Sean, at least I'm sure maybe has kept you somewhat abreast of these distribution changes, and um, I think they've done even more to destabilize the market. Um, it's certainly made it much harder uh, on a day-to-day basis for those who own comic stores to run their operations, and it's made them less profitable. It's increased our costs, so that's not been a good thing. As far as what they're doing in terms of editorial uh, decisions, uh In my way of thinking, with all the years I've been doing this, it's it's more of the same. Too much of the same things, you know. um I would say, I, you know, geez, I, I don't want to go on and on about it, but I think about thirty percent of the items that are solicited from Marvel every month. There's no image like you're being asked to order variant covers and this and that, but there's no cover to make a choice about. So, I, my opinion is not. Really, any different. I think the biggest detriment to the industry still are the actions of the publishers.
0: Fair enough. No, I understand. Just Uh, me.
1: Sorry, guys.
0: (laughs) No, that's quite all right. Let's take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we will go back to 1982 and earlier and talk about the road to opening Fat Moose Comics. So we will be right back. What do you call when you're in trouble? Alien Invasion? Call Superman. Bank being robbed? Call Spider-Man. But who can you count on if you want to learn how to make a window bag? Philtastic Comics and Art is here to help. Whether it's fighting FOMO, talking about art, or baking wheat cakes, you can count on Philtastic for your comic and art-related infotainment needs. The best part? You don't even need a bat signal. Just look up Philtastic Comics and Art on YouTube. Subscribe today to keep up on everything Philtastic. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shedadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts has been a guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram, at Real Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance on your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out these festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Event details and submission info can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the Fests on social media for updates on discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and In On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Established in 83, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They are ready and excited to assist you in navigating the wide world of comics. In addition to weekly new releases, graphic novels, and merchandise, they pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available. All offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, And visit AcmeComics.com for much more. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. It helps support the show too. Thanks. And we're back. So the store opens in 1982 by... Most accounts, as far as I know, as far as I can tell, it is the oldest in New Jersey, hence the title of our run of episodes. Is that correct, as far as you know?
1: As far as I know now, I know that when I was in Jersey, there were a couple stores that had been around a little bit longer, Um, a couple in South Jersey. Um, I don't know what the case is today, but I I like the fact that I opened on April Fool's Day of 1982.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I, I, I like that as well. <laughs> so, so I, I guess you take me back even even before the store opening. Have uh, did you grow up in
1: Jersey? Uh, I was born in Israel, and excuse me one second. Sorry, sure, no, quite all right. I was born in Israel. We came to America in 1961, so I uh, to New York. So I grew up in New York, and moved out to New Jersey when I was uh, a little past 17. And uh, I lived in Jersey until I moved out here to uh, the Seattle area. So yeah, I, I lived in Jersey, grew up in Jersey.
0: Gotcha. And when did comics enter the equation for
1: you? I bought my first comic book when I was seven years old, when my family was taking a trip to visit another family in Brooklyn from the Bronx, New York. I don't remember anything about the book except that it was a mystery in space featuring Adam Strange but I don't remember the issue number or the story or anything. I don't have it uh, anymore. And uh, it was something to entertain me on the car ride there. And that started my love of comics.
0: Gotcha. And so, you know, when you opened the store, we're still early days of the direct market. So when you were originally reading and collecting, were you primarily buying on on newsstands?
1: Sure. Um, I, I lived in an area where within about a six or seven mile radius, or were five or six places that sold new comics every week. So I had plenty of choices. And in fact, I had to go to multiple places because not every store had every book each week. So, and I was buying every single Marvel every week. Yeah.
0: Once again, a parallel between our two stores, because Steve Odo did the exact same thing. Every Marvel book he bought.
1: So yeah, but I did something he probably didn't do when I was 15. I threw everything out. Oh, no. It's not the horror story. Oh, I went to college. And when I came back, you know, my mom revealed to me, oh, well, you know, I donated them or I threw them away. I did it myself. Yeah. Uh, why? I, I don't know. I think it had something to do with a girl I really liked at the time who was making fun of me for it. Um, I, I want to say that's it so I can absolve myself of some of the blame. Uh, but I got rid of them. Had I known that 10 years later I was going to be opening a comic book store, I would not have done it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's hard. I mean, that's heartbreak. I, you know, I don't know what's worse. If it had been done to you, that's its own trauma you did it to yourself. That cuts a different way. I, <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> you, you think the listeners would be interested in knowing what I threw out?
0: Probably go for it
1: every marvel book from issue number five of the original runs through issue number 75 or 80 it only varied because some of them you know a couple issues were published a little bit different time wise the first 75 issues approximately uh from number five to 80 excuse me of every marvel title
0: I hope the answer is not much, but how much has that haunted you over these years, especially recently with with the, you know this this boom of the movies and the skyrocketing values?
1: Not in the least because I did it it was forgotten about for a number of years until I got on the path to opening a store and I couldn't recover what I had done and what are those books worth today? I will tell you that on the day I threw them out, they would all have been classified. Not that we did that back then, but they all would have been nine point eight. So their current value is probably close to a million dollars, 800000 I don't know. I really don't know, but it, it's way up there. And um, But it doesn't haunt me because if all of us who threw them out didn't, we wouldn't be talking about comic book values.
0: This is true. And I'm also a big proponent of making the best decisions you can with the information you have at the time. And obviously, you know, you couldn't have predicted where this would go. So in the context of, you know, that, that point in time and the, you know, the grief your girlfriend was giving you, it's like, I, you know, I I get it. I didn't get the girl. Uh Oh Oh, man. well. (laughs) (laughs) So then when, at what point do you say, I'm going to open my own, comic shop.
1: So I graduate college and I get, uh, four jobs in succession that one is like literally worse than the other. And I've got a college degree in psychology and I'm thinking to myself at the last of these jobs, I'm going to end up homeless. I, I, I really have no future here with what I've been doing. And however, at the first job, I was when I rediscovered comic books. I found an X-Men 142 on the street in Newark, New Jersey at a newsstand, and I bought it, and it got me back into comics. And that company moved from Newark, New Jersey to Morristown, New Jersey. And I subsequently had a few other jobs, but there were two stores across the street from each other in Morristown, New Jersey, One was the Morristown location of Heroes World, which would eventually become a very large East Coast distributor that Marvel destroyed. And the other one was across the street called Rainbow Comics and Collectibles that sold all sorts of things, including comic books. I got very friendly with the two brothers who who were running that store. And so while I'm sitting at the last of these horrible jobs, I said to myself, I could do that. And so I went to my father and I said, I want to open a business. I want to open up my own comic book store. And he says, you know, absolutely nothing about business. What if it fails? I said, what if it does? I can't possibly do worse than I'm doing now. So my dad fronted me $1,000 in 1982 to start the business. That's all it took. He built all my fixtures, except for the glass showcases. And, um, we started in a very small 350-square-foot location in a place called the Morris County Mall, which is about two miles from the current location in Whippany, and uh, the rest is history.
0: Wow. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, I know, again, obviously, you said that you are majored in, in psychology. I was curious if you had taken any business classes, but I guess the answer was no.
1: The answer was no. And um, by way of comic relief to those listening, I will tell you that on the day I opened my business... I did not have a credit card machine. I did not have a cash register. I didn't have anything except the small amount of product that was in that store. I didn't even have a lease, which almost totally put me out of business a few months later, um, but didn't. And that's a whole other story. But um, I knew nothing, and I picked everything up just from talking to people. Uh, coming in do you carry this can you carry that blah 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 talking to diamond talking to windmill hobbies which was a gaming distributor at the time and I just picked it all up and kept going
0: wow this is gonna sound like a snotty question I don't mean it to <laughs> with the register no. with the register was it just did it not cross your mind or you thought you d- you wouldn't need one or you just hadn't gotten around to
1: it yet a cash box seemed like a fine way to go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: because the, the I, I'll give you the credit card machine. I mean again, this is a different time so you know now of course you, you have to have one but uh, you know back then maybe maybe it wasn't such a given.
1: I, whatever it was, I went in blind knowing nothing and it actually wasn't the worst thing because outside of the snafu with the lease problem that came up, I was, you know, I was a a blank slate and I just absorbed and absorbed and absorbed and listened and learned and adapted. And, you know, I got to learn that many more lessons and, uh, I think it made it a, you know, a a better store over time.
0: I'm sorry if I miss this. How far was it from those other two stores that you had been going to?
1: Oh (laughs) yeah. Uh, about a mile and a 10th. Okay. Nothing um and in fact because i knew nothing the only way i got new comics into the store was the one i had found with the two brothers rainbow they let me piggyback initially on their orders to get my initial orders they helped put themselves out of business
0: wow <laughs> well yeah it's an interesting thing i you know i grew up in westchester county new york and there was a period of time where you know, less than a mile, well, less less than a mile from where alternate realities was. There was Dragon's Den and there was one if by Cards, two if by Comics. I mean, there were three big stores all in a very small uh, area. And it's a tough thing because on the one hand, you could say, well, there are other stores, clearly there's an appetite for this type of product. But then the flip side is, you know, now you're you're diluting that potential audience. So, uh, yeah, interesting. And as far as the product that you started with, was that from your personal collection, like what you had rebuilt by that point, or did you not bring that into the it,
1: store? It was, it was. Um, <clears throat> the, in, the initial thing was two long boxes of comics and um, our rack of new comics. My father had asked me, remember he built all the fixtures and you, you, you're going to laugh at this. Now you may remember it. I may have told you this previously. Um, he asked me, so I'm going to build you a new comic rack. How big does it need to be? And my reply was in my naivete and innocence way back then, there'll never be more than 20 new books a week. So how about just make me a five by four grid? And he did, and it was so cheap, it was disgusting. It was loose sight on a piece of pegboard, but that's it. So that's what we started with. And what I sold uh, in the beginning along with that was art prints, actual art prints um, and not comic-related stuff, just the kind of stuff you would get at Deck the Walls, stores like that. My uncle owned the largest print supplier in the world at the time. So he gave me all this art to sell on consignment, which was a great help. And um, so when I first opened it, it was not even called Fat Moose Comics and Games. It was called Fat Moose Comics and Prints.
0: Ah, good bit of trivia there. yeah. You know, it's funny to hear you say all of this, right? The saying is ignorance is bliss. And part of me wonders if maybe not knowing so much, you know, wasn't the worst thing because, you know, maybe if you knew too much and how daunting the business could be, maybe that could have been discouraging, but it's like you just jumped in.
1: Maybe, I I don't know. I've always been one of those people in many aspects of my life. Um, I kind of just go. I go with the flow. I tend to be laid back, not always, but you know, (laughs) you know, I tend to be laid back. And I think, I think the business would have worked no matter what. I I just think that by not knowing anything uh, I was able, as I said a minute ago, just to absorb so much. And so, and when I would absorb stuff, it would lead me to think, Oh, well, what about this? And what about that? How do I do this? So yeah, you know, It might as well have been bliss because that was the reality I dealt with. So, you know.
0: And even though you didn't have the formal business training, did you find that it came naturally for you? Because Steve himself will readily admit that he's not a natural businessman. And he, too, did not have a background in business. And he has always said and. We all agree that in a lot of respects, he would have been better suited to be a museum curator. You know, one of the biggest sources of tension at our store was there would be things he wouldn't want to sell because he liked having them as a collector and it was always this push and pull of like, well, you're a business, you got to put this out to sell. But so I'm curious for you, did did you find that even though you didn't have the training that you kind of took to it, that did it come naturally once you got into it?
1: I think so. And I I think the thing that came to me most naturally was my ability to interact very openly and freely and and enjoyfully with the majority of my customers. Um, You know, I'm told I have a pretty good style. Um, There are some people who will argue, I'm sure. Um, Not every interaction you have is gonna be great, obviously. Um, But, you know, I'm just a natural talker and so, that was a big help. People would come in and I would just talk. I got it from my dad. He was an endless talker, you know? So that was it, you know? Do
0: you think that the psychology background helped in that respect?
1: Um, I don't know how much the psychology background really helped me at all. It certainly helped me identify the different types of people that came in that I could have classified as being nuts or crazy. Um, certainly, it helped me identify my nuttiness, but, uh, I, I don't know that it, it it helped in a tremendous sense. Gotcha. It might have, but I
0: don't know. I'm jumping ahead a bit. I'll I'll, I'll circle back around. But
1: That's
0: fine. as far as just the relationship with the customers, when I interviewed you for the documentary, and this did not make it into the final cut, but you, to your credit, and I appreciated this, you were very candid about the end of your tenure at Fat Moose prior to selling. And that, sure. to paraphrase, that you know you maybe weren't as present or attentive to the customers as you had been previously. And I guess I'm just curious, you know, especially now as we're approaching this anniversary and you'll be reconnecting with a lot of people. Um, I mean, how do you think the, the the clientele at Fat Moose, how do you think they remember you and or how do you hope that they remember you and
1: those interactions? Hope. Well, hope and reality might be two different things. It's been a long time since I've been there. I think I had a really good relationship with the majority of the people. And I think the people that I didn't have good relations with, um, I I think that was caused by expectations that both of us might have had. Um, It's just not always easy. Um, One of the things, for example, and I've seen this at my current store as well. I've always tried to get people to set up a reserve box. And the reason for that is if you have reserve box customers, you at least have baseline numbers for ordering stuff every month. If 35 people are telling you, excuse me, that they want Amazing Spider-Man every month, then you go, great, I'll order 45. I'll order 10 extra for the rack, for walk-ins, and so on and so forth. So it's always good to have that. And I had any number of people who would come in and this happens today at the current store as well. And every week they're disappointed because maybe by the time they come in and some people only come in every two or three or four weeks, right? You know, lives are busy and now we have the pandemic too, but you know, they're disappointed because maybe a couple, two or three books that they wanted, well, they're not there. And well, why did you sell out? And and so so there's that kind of thing where I, I, I would have wanted certain things to happen. And it, so I, I couldn't service those customers as well as they wanted to be serviced. And I think some people took that personally. Uh, another thing that I did, and I, I there's one person, and, and I won't name him. And I, do, I certainly hope to see him when I go back. I know he ended up quitting the store because of something I did. And, and, and something that I've always done is I've always funneled books into a customer's box that they didn't order, that are related to books they do get. So if they had Green Arrow on their list, for example, and they did a mini series called Green Arrow Goes to Disneyland, that would be in their box. Uh, This week, I don't know if you're aware of this week's, this past week's offerings, but Savage Spider-Man number one came in. So if you get Amazing Spider-Man, Savage would have found its way into your box. I've always told my customers two things. If I put a book in in your box that you don't want, you are absolutely under no obligation to take it. I am doing this as a service to you. It's there if you want it. Secondly, I've always kept credit cards on file because some people do not come in on a regular basis. They have busy lives, they have kids, they have work, they have whatever. Um, And so the store still needs to pay its bills even when people can't come in on a regular basis. I also told them, however many books are in your box at any given time, if I do have to charge your account, I will not charge you for the books that I put in there on spec. Some people always end up not appreciating these extra books, and you think I'm trying to push and push and push, and that's never been my intent. And, and this one customer I'm thinking of in particular, at a certain point, and I was told after the fact, that that's why I didn't know this at the time he quit. Usually when people quit, they have a reason. And those reasons aren't always the real reasons. He had told me a whole bunch of reasons and, but those were not the reasons I found out it was because he felt I was pushing him all the time because the books were just there. So yeah, I'm hoping that was a long answer. I didn't mean to be that long, but I'm hoping that it'll be nothing but smiles and, and, and good memories When I get back and I'm hoping the people that do show up, you know, are there because they want to see the moose, you know, (laughs) and, and and that's what it is. I hope it'll be fun and good and and all that.
0: Gotcha. No, I I appreciate the answer and the example, because it's helpful to, you know, to, you know, just kind of have that context. And speaking of the moose, We've made it more than a half hour, and I haven't yet asked you. I guess because I know the answer, but for anyone who you know is not familiar with the origin of the name Fat Moose Comics, where does that come from?
1: So um, it became apparent at a certain point to my fiancé at the time that I was going to be opening the store. It was really going to become a reality, and we were trying to come up with a catchy name. I wanted a catchy name for the kids to remember. My attitude, not knowing anything about business, was still that... Adults will come because they find the store to be um, welcoming and has what they want. And the price is good. And the owner is great. and Yeah, whatever. Adults will come and they'll know why they're coming. Kids on the other hand, you know, Oh, there's Pokemon. Oh, there's Spider-Man. They don't care where they are. They see it. They want to get it. So I wanted a catchy name and my uh, fiance and I were just talking for a couple hours one night, just throwing stuff back and forth at each other. Now, I happen to weigh almost sixty pounds more back then than I do now. I've lost a lot of weight actually since September. Um, for those who might know me and care, uh, I, I, I was diagnosed as diabetic, and part of this journey now is I've lost, you know, weight. Um, but I was about—I was almost two hundred and forty-five pounds when I opened the store back in nineteen eighty-two, and after about two hours, my wife looks at me and says, "You're a pretty damn fat moose." Why don't you call it Fat Moose Comics? And that's really where the name came from.
0: I dig it. It's a, It definitely sticks with you and it stands out. So I think it yeah. serves its purpose. You know? Are, are there, a, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no. I was going to say we've had a few different logos over the years as well. Some were very primitive. The very first one was primitive. Anyone who has an original Fat Moose t-shirt knows what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I have to say, I really like Sean's very modern logo that he has now. Yeah.
0: You mentioned a shirt. How, how much swag has there been over the years?
1: I was not a swag guy. So we did shirts off and on over the years, different designs, different stuff. But, you know, probably not more than 500 shirts. I never did anything else. I never did bumper stickers. I never did X, Y, and Z, pens. I didn't do any of that stuff. So. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, no swag. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, for us too, it was primarily shirts. We, there was a big run of shirts uh, around, I don't know, 2007 or so. And that was about it as far as as far as swag at our store. Yeah. And so as far as locations, how many locations has the shop had?
1: So we opened in the Morris County Mall on Ridgedale Avenue. And we were there for 14 years. We then moved to a second location approximately a mile down the road. Um, for those who know the area, There's a little strip mall next to the firehouse in Cedar Knolls, and so we were in a corner spot there that was less than half the size of the original store and shaped like a slice of pizza. It was very difficult operating in there, but I did that for four years. Then from 2000 to 2010, I moved it to a large mall, also a strip mall, but very large, called the Pine Plaza Mall, which was on Route 10 eastbound in Whippany, New Jersey. And I offered to sign up for an additional 10 years, but the landlord would have none of it with the rent that I was willing to pay to stay another 10 years. By the way, it's been demolished now. But anyway, so in 2010, I moved it around the corner to its current location on Whippany Road. No, not Whippany Road. um,
0: Parsippany Road, right? Parsippany
1: Road, excuse me. Right, 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 right. Uh, On Parsippany Road across from the post office and, um, I moved it there in 2010 and it is there to this day. I mean, so I have four locations.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I've gotten plenty. I've gotten the, uh, location and street mixed up plenty of times because it's Parsippany road in Whippany many times I've had to remind myself <laughs> exactly. Although that's the benefit of uh, GPS that they'll get you there either way. But, uh, sure. okay. So those are locations. So you've you know, been in malls and, and, and not uh, a preference between the two.
1: Um, They're two different animals. So when you're in the mall, you do get, generally speaking, some percentage of walk-by traffic. So people who have no idea you exist even will walk by, oh, look, a comic store, you know, whatever. So there is that. As Sean has said to me many times himself, where he is now, if you're coming to the store, it's a decision. You know, it's a destination trip. I'm gonna go to Fat Moose. You know, it's around the corner. It's on a pretty well-traveled street, obviously, connecting Whippany Road, you know, and if you go all the way, it'll take you to Route 46, uh, and you pass 287 also, you know. Uh, it was very convenient being where Sean is because um, it was, you know, a five-minute ride to the Parsippany hub of UPS to pick up books if you needed to do that, so that was very cool. But, um, so, but they're really two different animals. Um, we get a lot of our sales. I'd say probably about 25 or 30% of my current sales are people who just walk by and come in. And I think Sean will tell you that 95% of his sales are people who are coming with a purpose.
0: Right. No, that makes total sense. And the current location definitely lends itself to that clubhouse feel that uh, so many of the fat moose folks talk about the fact that, you know, and it's on the second floor and the entrance is in the back and you got to go up the big staircase. It really has that, that clubhouse (laughs) feel to it. So I think it works well in that respect. And you had a second moose operation for a period of time, right? I did from
1: 1985 to 1987. uh, I had fat moose two as it was called. Uh, That was in Cedar Grove, New Jersey. Apparently I liked the Cedar designation, Cedar Knolls and Cedar Grove. It ran for two years and um, it got to the point where uh, I was a couple months away from having to renew that lease. And based on the performance of the store, I I really didn't see a point in continuing with it. It was meant to be a second store on the way to five stores, but it just didn't. That was my goal to have five stores, but it, it didn't go that way. And... Through a set of circumstances, I met David Bauer, um, and he and I got talking, and he ended up buying the store instead of shutting it down and moved it across the street, and it became a store, which is still operating, called Time Warp Comics, which I I don't know if you're familiar with that name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, of course you are. And um, so, and yeah, so that's what happened. So, but yeah, I would have liked for it to have gone longer, and- for that other plan to have uh, moved forward, but it just didn't work out.
0: Wow. Yeah, well, I, I admire the ambition of you know aiming for the five stores. I mean, I guess at the time you you know concocted that, the, the plan, I mean, things must have been going well. Business must have been strong, right?
1: Things were are going very well at the main store. Um, they went well uh, for a while at the second store, um, which had its growing pains, but then sort of came into itself. But then it just plateaued uh for reasons i won't divulge but uh you know it just didn't move forward and you know that was that was a choice i had to make at that time and so that's how it went
0: and is it fair to say over the years you you saw a fair amount of comic shops come and go
1: tons tons and so i'm in an area currently called bellevue And of course, I'm sorry, I'm in Bellevue, Washington, which is an area of Washington known as the East Side. We're in the East Side of of Seattle. And um, I'm the new boy in town. You know, I just showed up seven years ago. I'm the last surviving store on the East Side. Everyone else has left or shut down. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> that's not all due to my brilliance i mean some stores had issues that they couldn't overcome and uh, we had a number of stores closed during the pandemic and it's just been crazy and um yeah it's so that it astonishes me that i'm still going but a combination of factors and my own experience is what kept the store able to survive the pandemic
0: Gotcha. But even going back to when you were in Jersey, you know, and and I I appreciate, you know, I know not to, you don't want to pat yourself on the back, but I mean, to to what do you attribute the fact that Moose outlasted all of those other stores?
1: Oh, in New Jersey, you mean? You know, some people just, they feel they hit the end of a road. Um, They don't do it anymore. For some people, it's not generating enough income. Uh, you know, it's just, I think every store has its own reasons for calling it a day. Um, again, I, I, I want to think, I hope that part of it was my personality and that people liked, you know, coming to the store because of their interaction with me. I, I, I certainly think, and I think Sean is total proof of this statement. I think if people feel comfortable with who they're dealing with on a regular basis, keep coming. And I think that even plays a bigger part than maybe the selection you have or the prices you have. Maybe even if your location is a little inconvenient, you know? So I think that's part of it, you know? And I I always had, I don't know, I didn't always have good employees. I had some real jerk offs work for me too. But I, you know, like any store people that stole from me or this or that or the other thing, but, but I, I think that's the main thing, you know? And if you have a really good relationship between you and your staff and the people coming in. I think that's 80% of the job, you know, that's 80% of your success. So, but again, a lot of people would have had personal reasons for shutting down, you know, another store in Jersey, if I can interject, just shut their doors at the end of January. And it's a wonderful store run by two wonderful people, little shop of comics. And, And I know they had a few things going on here and there, not really negative things, but challenges like we all have. And then, as you, you may know, a, a car rammed through their front of their store a little while ago. And I think for them, that was that was the reason now. And now they'll continue with their online presence, which is strong and, and will do them very well. So, again, so that's their reason. I think everybody has their own reasons. And uh, part of my success, too, right place at the right time.
0: Now, fair enough. That you don't have to answer this if you don't. This is so nosy. But is this shop something that you have been able to live off of? Because I know a lot of retailers I've spoken to. You know, for some of them, it is their main source of income, In other cases, it's not. It's more of a hobby, or there's a, a spouse that's supporting it, whatever the case may be. But to whatever extent you're willing to answer, I'd be curious.
1: I'll answer fully. I, you know, I, I I tell this to people who ask, and I, I don't mind. So, in 1983, Five. I started paying myself. This is, of course, in New Jersey. So think of $1985. I was paying myself $72,000 a year in income. And my insurance was paid for that from the store also, my personal insurance. So I had a house, I had a home, my family was able to take a vacation or two every year. We had our food. We went to the movies. We we lived life, you know. And the store totally supported that completely. And um, I paid myself that wage. I never got a raise after that. So, but I paid that wage to myself until I sold the store.
0: Wow, I was not expecting that. Not that's once again, man. Good for you. That's I mean, that's that's that's, that's fantastic to hear because again, that's often not necessarily the case. So that's that's very encouraging.
1: Well, when I moved here, of course I was brand new. We weren't generating any income at all. I sunk a lot of money into opening this store, not the thousand dollars I was able to do in 1982, quite a bit more. And, um, and the first four years that the store was open, we just had our seventh year. Um, the first four years that it was open, I took no salary at all, not a penny. And then I took the equivalent of four dollars and fifty cents an hour, and it's only the pillow again, Miss Cat. Uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been able to take a living wage. Nothing comparable to what I did back in New Jersey, but I can pay the rent at home. You know, I can eat food, <laughs> and I just turned sixty-five, so now I'm on Medicare. <laughs>
0: No, very good. And yeah, that, no, listen, I appreciate uh, you sharing that. That's uh, that, that's really sure. something, uh, you know, obviously we talked about shops that came and went along the years, but I was also curious, particularly with the shops that stuck around or maybe even shops that did close in New Jersey, but what your relationship was typically like in terms of, was it friendly and more collaborative or more on the competitive side? What did you tend to find?
1: So um, there were a number of us that got involved in groups we put together where we could not only exchange information and thoughts, uh, selling points, ideas, um, sob stories, whatever, but we would also share costs and group buys and stuff. Uh, the first of these, oh, you know what? It's funny now. I forget which one we had first, but there was CBRI and then there was IRCBRA, Um yeah, IRCBRO is East Coast comic book, uh, whatever it was, IRCBRO and CBRI. And so we'd get together and have monthly meetings for a couple hours, two, three hours, and then we'd go uh, for beer and pizza, you know. So it was social as well as business oriented. And a lot of information was shared. Um some stores didn't mind. You know, another thing we did is maybe you needed 20 copies of something. And if I had 20 extra, you're sure, you know, we trade off. You don't have to spend extra money again. You know, this kind of, we did that. Um, but some stores really felt you're my competitor. You're only nine miles away or you know, whatever it is. and And some stores didn't have that notion. So it, it really depended on who you were dealing with from time to time. I always felt I was very open about and was willing to trade anything with anybody let's all do well. Right. Not everybody shared that, but, but over, but it was very friendly and overall, yeah, it was pretty good. Gotcha.
0: Uh, The, I want to, I want to talk about, you know, when you met Sean and and what that relationship has, has been like, especially now that he's taken over, you're, you're both, uh, you know, comic shop owners, but uh, one other question (laughs) about your, your, your specific experience, And maybe I have my answer based on the fact that you're still doing this. Do you still, and frustrations with the publishers aside, do you still have passion for the material and the hobby? Like, do you still like comics?
1: I I like them very much, but the difference is I used to read only Marvel. I used to follow this writer or this artist, you know, I, I don't do that anymore. What I do now is any individual project that comes across, you know, my way, if it appeals to me, I'll read it. If it doesn't, I won't, you know, it's not a brand loyalty or a publisher loyalty or anything anymore. It's just whatever the product is. So when I like something now, I love it. I really, really liked it. Otherwise it's sort of like, yeah, whatever, you know, don't really care that much. So I'm reading much less than I used to, you know, but what I, what I read, I really, really enjoy. Good. But, uh, you
0: know, I, I just I always go back to, to obviously to my own comic shop experience. And, you know, by the time Steve sold the store, he he was not at that place with the material. And, you know, he had really gotten worn out by the the grind of of the business. It seems like that's not been the case for you. I'm really worn
1: out, actually. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but, but, but I'm worn out by the challenges and the issues and the difficulties that have been placed upon me by the publishers and the distributors, the, 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 the Sean, for his love of comics and his, um, you know, owning a store now came in at the worst possible time. I mean, he bought the store four months before the pandemic first started hitting, you know, and yet his carried it through. Now I hope he won't get mad at me for sharing this. But when I owned the store, he worked for me for about six years, and we had a very good relationship when he worked for me. He saw that I kind of, even back then, had a laissez-faire attitude of certainly, uh, and that was from that grind back then. But it certainly wasn't as uh, removed as it was just before I moved, as you mentioned before, for the last couple of years. And a lot of that was because I knew I was moving. But that was really unfair to my customers. I regret that. I wish I had not faded that much. But in any event, um, you know, uh, it's just the grind now of of trying to do it. And it's just so much harder to do what came so easily before. It's not that it should be easy, but it shouldn't be made more difficult by the people who are supposedly your partners, you know, Marvel and DC and Diamond and whoever, they're supposed to be our partners working for mutual success. And that's not the case. And it's had been, it has not been the case in my mind for almost three decades. You know, I, I know their focus is themselves, you know, but they've really let us flounder for a long time. And those of us that have been around a long time, it's more because of what we've been able to accomplish than what they've done for us. And so that, so I, I feel worn down because of that, but I'm not worn down in any way because of uh, the material so much or or the customers or whatever. It's, it's just that aspect of it. Yeah.
0: No, I understand. I can appreciate that. So speaking of Sean, so what were your first impressions of, of young Sean Hendricks when you first met him?
1: Well, I didn't first meet him when he came to work for me, of course. I first met him when he was working for uh, Pat Milligan at Pegasus Comics up in Booton, New Jersey, about nine or so miles away from Fat Moose. Uh, well, no longer in existence now, of course. It's been a long time since Pat shut down. Um, and he had it. He, he gave it up because he just couldn't deal with it anymore, uh, all the aspects back then. And But, you know, so I met Sean, and Sean clearly knew more about comic books than I did. I mean, and, you know, at the time... That's saying a lot. Now it's, you know, it's not because I'm less immersed in, in new material. It's easy to know more than I do. But but back then, you know, and so Sean was great. I mean, he knew a lot of stuff. He, he just had a lot of stuff. i liked he as far as I recall, he had the same kind of passion and enthusiasm back then. So uh, there was a, I I went through many different employees over the years because not everybody wants to be there forever. Some people I had to fire because they were idiots or did things that were just blatantly wrong or upsetting. Like the guy who told every person that came in the store that Marvel comics suck and they shouldn't buy them. That was not good. Mm -mm. But that was not Sean, of course. And um, so eventually I needed somebody and the timing worked out right. And so Sean came to work for me and we did have a conversation back in the day when, you know, we talked about Sean possibly buying the store back then. And, um, but his mom was dead set against it. And, uh, how can you possibly make a living doing this, you know? And, uh, so of course that didn't come to pass, but you know, but he, we worked, we, had, I, I always felt we had a good relationship and, uh, I, I hope he agrees and, uh, you know, it was fun having him there and uh, yeah, he contributed a great deal to the success of the store and I think that's evident in how successful it is now.
0: Jeez, all he had to say to his mom was, e- Elon's making
1: $72,000 a year, I'll be fine. <laughs> you know, if I had thought of that, that might have been the way to go. <laughs> but this is interesting, you know, um, when, when he did end up, after he took over um, Fat Moose, We got into, I always thought I had misinterpreted, you know, and also because we discussed him buying it back in the day, I always thought that it was a dream of his to own a comic book store. And it actually wasn't, he took over Fat Moose so it wouldn't die for the customers that were so, um, who counted on it so much and who valued it so much. And he just didn't want to see it close it was a part of his life and his history and all these other people too and so that was really his impetus for going ahead and becoming the owner and when he told me that i went oh my god i always thought this was your dream he goes what (laughs) well it's no
0: that it's so funny i mean i think to anyone on the outside or even as you're proving on the inside Right. Here's this person who loves comics, who loves this shop, has worked at the shop. You know, it, it would seem like a natural next step. But, you know, in fairness, there's a you know, there's a big difference. It's, it's really fun to work at a comic shop. It's really fun to work at a comic shop. <laughs> not as much fun to own one, I would imagine. Uh, I only have the experience of, of working at one. But, you know, so I, I can kind of uh, appreciate that. But, yes, that is kind of a funny wrinkle to all of this where, uh, again, it, it would seem one way from the outside. But uh, right. we know that's not the case.
1: <laughs> It actually also sheds some light on something you asked me before was when you asked about, well, why do so many stores not make it? Why do they got a business? The number one reason that well, a store will go out of business when staying in business or not is in control of the owner is there are a lot of people over all the years of comic book stores, the direct market started around 1975, six, around there. There are a lot of guys who open a store so they can get their comics at cost, so they can get their statues at cost. It's a vanity thing for their own collections or just to say, oh, look at me. Those guys never make it, ever, because they're not there for the right reasons and they don't treat it as a business. Now, one can say, well, you didn't know anything but I didn't open it out of vanity. I opened it because I was trying to save, in my mind, I was trying to save my future because I didn't see one prior to having the store. So, but those guys always fail, right? You know, yeah.
0: It's you know one of the things that's so fascinating to me is you know you started the store so early into the direct market. I know there were other shops that you could talk to and look at as examples, but it wasn't like the business model was so firmly established at that point you were within the, that first crop of of comic shops uh right. out there so you know that that part of it is, is so fascinating to me and in my travels over these past few mm-hmm. years going around to other shops you know one of the things that i've noticed and this was a big part of the documentary is that a lot of stores have their own hook or focus whether it's you know, toys or, or vintage back issues certainly was one thing that was eye-opening to me to see at, at some of these stores out there. And my sense with Fat Moose, at least currently, if, if not traditionally, has been the hook is really that atmosphere, is that sense of community and camaraderie at the store. Is that your view of it as well? Has there been something in the past that you're like, no, like we really specialized in this and this was sort of how we carved out our own little corner? Uh, well, I was curious what what your take is on that.
1: I agree with what you're saying. I, I, it's always been the sense of community, the camaraderie. Um, On New Comic Book Day, back in the mid-80s, uh, when Heroes World was very close to us, I would bring the new books in. And for a long time, I'm talking about a year and a half or so, every time I came back with the delivery there were 35 to 40 people waiting at the store, and they would help count the books in, check them for damages, get them up. And from the store's perspective, great, because when you're done working for free to help us get this stuff in there, now we have 35 or 40 people ready to buy. But beyond that, while they're waiting for me, they're all talking about comics and what they love and what they like. And I can't, you know what's coming in this new issue of whatever. And and it was so vibrant and it was electric and all these people talking. And today, especially, to me, it's much more insular. I I, I know he still has that there on Wednesdays, which is great. I think he has developed that very well. Um, but um, I haven't been able to do it so much in my store. But, you know, but we have people coming in And it's rare when three, four or five people are in there at once and start a conversation. You know, it's a lot more insular where I am now. One person comes in, but that sense of community is great. And I think it existed way back when I owned it as well. As far as me specializing anything, I would try anything that I felt could sell. So I even tried pogs when pogs were a thing. I tried beanie babies when they were a thing. I had no idea what Magic the Gathering was back in the day or Pokemon. And, and and Sean doesn't do those now. He wants to keep them apart because he has this very specific vision of what the store should be, which is comic book focused. And that's great, that is absolutely wonderful. Um, but for me, so I've always carried whatever I thought would sell. And sometimes I failed miserably and lost a bit of money. But, you know, I I didn't specialize per se. I, I just worked off the camaraderie and the you know try to be as many things to as many people as I can. We even had gaming for a while in the store when we, when I had enough room to do it. So, yeah.
0: Understood. And as far as the camaraderie, I know then and now, right? There's always a lot of conversation at the store, especially on a Wednesday and and you have those uh you know those hangouts at the shop did did they ever translate to gatherings outside the store? Was that ever something that you tried to facilitate, like people going out to dinner or going to movies, things like that?
1: Yeah, I probably, uh, I ran two events where um, I took whoever wanted to go to see a movie. Um, One of them was the Batman movie. Now, my memory is really weak on this. Did they advertise... It couldn't have been the first movie cuz the Watchmen movie was much later than the first Batman movie, much much later, right? So Wait, are you talking, we were,
0: Wait, are you talking which which Batman franchise are we talking, the 89 or well, the 2005?
1: Well, when did the Watchmen movie come out? The Watchmen movie was like uh, mid 2000s. Okay. So whatever Batman movie was like, No, it wouldn't have been that one cuz this was in New Jersey. So this is terrible. It's I, quite all right. right.
0: Well, I do know Batman Begins was two thousand five, and Dark Knight, I think two
1: thousand eight. Well, all and- I know <laughs> is Watchmen was available. Okay, you know, as as a trade paperback at this point in time. So we're at some Batman movie, or maybe we're at some movie because I did a, a two or three of them where I invited people to come in at, at, at store expense, <laughs> and they they had an ad for Watchmen on the screen. So I yell out in a crowded theater, Watchmen available now at Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey, right? And people are applauding and woo! So that was kind of funny, but, uh, so we've done that, we've done that. Uh, We had a few pizza nights at the store here and there, and you know, Not a ton of stuff, you know, a few events over the years.
0: Understood. What have I not asked you yet that you want to talk about?
1: I don't know. I mean, that was pretty thorough, I guess. I mean, uh, you know, uh, do I regret moving out here? Uh, No, you know, uh, I moved here for a relationship. Like I said, it didn't work out, but here I am and you know, you make what you can of life. Um, I've got the store. The store is, you know, going well. You know, i got friends here, you know, so it's it's okay. Would I rather have stayed there and still had my store, still had my home in New Jersey that I had? Uh, just, in Morris Plains, just a few miles away from, you know, uh, the store. Um, yeah, sure. You know, it would have been, you know, I uprooted my daughter to move here. So, yeah, you know, I would rather. um, I don't know if the store would be quite as successful if I was still at the uninterrupted helm of it as as it is with uh, Sean running it. Just because Sean has done so much, as you know, that's terrific with it. Um, But it also wouldn't have suffered from my... Lack of attention because I didn't, I wouldn't have had this moving thing to divert my attention. So, yeah, other than that, I don't know. You know, am I glad I got into comic books? Am I glad I opened and became a comic book store owner? Damn right. You know, it's been great, even with all the, you know, bullshit and crap you have to deal with from time to time and um if i can throw in a joke here um based on something from your documentary my favorite moment in that whole thing and not as a negative but it was just the funniest thing and i don't remember who it was i don't remember her name but there was a blonde-haired woman that you interviewed (laughs) yeah
0: you know where i'm going with this i think so but i'll let you go with it but i I think you're referring to the the co-owner of the comic book shop in delaware Sarah Titus.
1: Sarah. Sarah. That's her name. And you asked her this great question, which was, how do you end up with a $1 million comic book store? That was her, right? Uh Uh-huh. And what was her answer? Start with a $2 million store. (laughs) And I tell that story today. I, I, I just think that it was hysterical. And I think it was on point from the perspective of how hard it has been to run a shop. But having said that, and back to what I started with, there's nothing else I've been doing since 1982. I haven't had to work for anybody else. I haven't had to answer to anybody else. I put my daughter through college. You know, I I had a family life. We did all sorts of stuff together. You know, it's been great. And, and I'm glad I was involved with it. It was something that was meant to happen. People sometimes ask me, they found out I was born in Israel and, you know, came to this country. They go, why did you come to this country? You know? And I go, my parents decided one day that I needed to open up a comic book store and it wouldn't have worked in Israel. So here we are.
0: <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, so, uh, I admire what you've built and I'm appreciative of it. Selfishly, personally, you know, Sean's become a great friend, and I would not have met him most likely. Uh, maybe our paths would have crossed some other way, but had it not been for Fat Moose, I mean, Fat Moose came on my radar because Sean reached out to me. I think I had put the the word out on Facebook that for the the third season of this podcast, I was going to start to explore other stores. Now that mine was long gone. And he reached out to me. He was like, hey, I work at Fat Moose Comics. You should come check out the shop. And I did. And, you know, he and I have become great friends. So
1: You have. I'm actually, you know, I'm actually jealous of that. You know, I've thought a few times, dang, if, if I'd been there, I would have met Anthony. And instead of having two minutes in his documentary, I would have been the one with 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: I know, but he had a lot of screen time. He,
1: he really did. He really did. But he deserved it.
0: Yeah, for sure. He, he he did a terrific job. And it really you know, that his his moments and then Fat Moose generally really spoke to again that community and that camaraderie and a store <clears throat> cultivating an identity around that. Because we saw plenty of other stores that, like I said, focused on back issues or pops or whatever whatever else it might be. But for Fat Moose, really it is that community. And that's what I've seen when I've been there. That's what I keep hearing from everybody, what I see on social media, and it's it's a fantastic thing. Not to harp on any regrets, but I was just curious, I know you had mentioned, you know, at a a certain point in time, there was this hope of having five stores. Was there ever anything else that you wanted to do within Fat Moose that you either didn't get around to or just wasn't financially possible or or just didn't come together for whatever reason?
1: Not within Fat Moose, um, but uh, to digress, um, about 14 years in, uh, I was really burnt out, um, Let me see, 14 years would have put us at 2,000, right. So we were past the triumvirate stage of Marvel, having put Terry Stewart, Richard Rogers, and Dan, I think his name was Dan Calabrese, in sequence to run Marvel. And it was just one jerk after another who had no clue what to do with Marvel as a publisher and whatever. Um, I, I, I can tell you horror stories about their reign as head of Marvel. Okay, <clears throat> and, and I got really burnt out, so I had decided that I would go back to school at night and get my master's in psychology and go into uh, therapy. You know, become a, a, a psychologist, a psychologist, whatever. And uh, that was not meant to be there were a number of sniffos with the school that screwed up my getting in and blah, 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 whatever. Uh, it just didn't work out. That was the only time I ever considered leaving. Um, but it didn't happen. Obviously it was meant not to happen. And so here I am still going 26 years later. Um, so no, I, I was pretty happy with what happened. Um, you know, at that, the, the you know, we, uh, as I said, uh, I think I told you the story, uh, not in the interview, maybe in the interview, maybe not, about how we were almost put out of business three months in, approximately, uh, the original Fat Moose, um, because of not having a lease. If you think anyone would find that interesting, I'll share it now as well. But um, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Oh, so I was sitting in my store, you know, we're just developing, we're getting some regular clientele, and a woman comes in, a very lovely woman. Uh, Rest in peace. But um, and she says, you know, you have to be gone in about, you know, three weeks or something. I go, What do you mean? Well, this spot was promised to me. I go, what? She goes, Yeah. And she already owned a spot. Uh, the, the store started in a in, in a little bit removed section of that mall. It's called the Morris County Mall, called the Village. So it was like mom and pop stores and antique things and whatever. And so I went to the the uh management that actually at that time had an office in the mall. And I said, what the hell gives here? You told me I could have this. Remember the no business experience? You said I could have this for as long as I wanted it, this rent. I go, what? And she's telling me it's hers in like a few weeks. What is that about? And they go, yeah, she's right. I go, well, why the hell would you do that? I'm just starting to get established and regulars and, you know, whatever. And they go, well, you were obviously such a rube we figured we would take your money until it was time to throw you out. And I'm like, you, da, 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 da." Very flowery language. Okay. And now I didn't know what to do. And I didn't have a lease. I had no legal leg to stand on. So I was like a deer in headlights. Every day would pass. Nothing happened. I would just go to work and whatever. It is now Friday. I am supposed to be out by Sunday. I've not made any plans to move anything because I am an idiot and I have no idea what to do. I had a friend named Pete who had a video store. Remember VHS Sure. in the same, in the same part of the mall. And I went to him to whine and moan about my situation. And he tells me an interesting thing. The very night before there was a cookie store in the mall, right across from a sporting goods store. And they caught the guy in the cookie store trying to steal through the gates from the sporting goods store. So he was gone. He was being thrown out. His location was not the biggest, but geographically the best location in that mall. Pete was going to move his VHS store to that location, but it was going to be three weeks later. Pete said, you're an idiot but I'm going to tell you what to do. I go, okay. So he told me, and I went back to the manager and I said, she's been waiting how long for that spot? She can wait three more weeks. Okay. It's not going to kill her in any way. And here's what we're going to do. Pete's moving to the cookie store. You're going to give me Pete's spot. It's twice as big as mine. So I will give you twice the rent. Okay. And you will give me a lease for two years so that you can't do this to me again. They were more than happy to do that because they don't have to go and find another tenant. If the cookie guy isn't an idiot, that would have been the end of Fat Moose Comics right then and there. Fate, circumstance, plays such good luck, plays a part in how a business succeeds as well as knowledge, lack of ignorance, you know whatever. And, and that was the saving moment in the early history and it's still here. Crazy, right?
0: That's an amazing story and good looking out on Pete's part. you know it's the yeah. cookie guy and it's and it's Pete I'm well, I'm glad that that worked out the way that it did for a variety of reasons. That is a crazy story.
1: It- and the, and the upshot of that story, I ended up in Pete's spot after he moved out. I ended up in the best spot in the mall until I left. I until I left that mall for a different location. But yeah.
0: That feels like such a perfect note to end on, but I do have one other thing that I I want to ask you since you you have all of this experience, decades behind the counter at a comic shop. <clears throat> this is a big picture question, but I'm just curious in your estimation what has been or what has caused the biggest change in terms of what you see on the ground at the store, because looking at at especially these past couple of decades with uh, the rise of the collected edition, not even so much digital comics, but the the means for people to get their comics or trade paperbacks elsewhere, the proliferation of all these movies. I mean, it, and the answer could be any number of these things, or or something else entirely. Like, what had, in your estimation, has caused the biggest change to the to your business, at least?
1: Well, all those things you mentioned really affected. I mean, you know, it used to be that we didn't have to compete with anybody, except there was still a time when, um, you know, you could also get comic books at drugstores or, you know, uh, supermarkets and whatever. They just had the spinning racks, you know, of legend and lore, you know, the spinning racks. Right. And um, but that was really our only competition, unless you got a subscription from Marvel or DC direct to your home. Now, you can get them everywhere, right? And and, and it's very difficult competing with guys who sell out of their basements. It's really difficult, you know, uh, selling for more money than you can get it for on Amazon. Or some jerk selling it on eBay at below cost as a loss leader or whatever. So it's really much harder. The fact that the stores that still exist, and, and there's small ones like mine, You know, there's huge ones like, you know, the wonderful Mile High Comics in Denver, Colorado, um, any one of the really big stores, um, Golden Apple in in L.A., whatever. Okay, the reason these stores exist is because there are people who absolutely love the fact that there's a place they can go to where they can feel like family. It's like the TV show show cheers it's where everybody knows your name and you can come in and you know there are people who have come into my store over the years and i've just put my elbows on the counter and listen to their stories you know there are people who've been going through tough times they've lost a job they've lost a girlfriend or a boyfriend whatever it is and that's part of the job is just to be not only their comic book guy but to be their friend. And I think Sean is a great friend to his customers from everything I've seen from long distance. Um, and, And I hope that most of the people that shopped with me over the years saw me as a friend also. I was never about getting everybody's money. I was never about that. Because you know what? The best year I ever had, you know, and of course, you 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 know you can always extrapolate this to current dollars and old dollars and whatever. <clears throat> but the best year I ever had—I don't mind sharing this—at in all in the 32 years that I ran Fat Moose Comics, gross sales, gross sales, with three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. This is not a ton of money, okay? There are plenty of stores in this country that are still making, you know, a million dollars a year. And multiples of that, really big places, big stores. I never did more than 350. But you know what? I was there for 32 years. And some of my people were there with me for almost 28 to 30 of those years. So that was really cool. That was a really cool thing.
0: Well, you've given me another wonderful button for this episode, so I'm going to I'm gonna take it, and I'll quit while I'm ahead. But I want to thank you so much for taking part in this. I, I really enjoyed speaking to you about your experience.
1: Thanks for having me. I, I hope it was a positive experience for you and for whoever listens to it. And uh, send me the link. I want to hear it, too.
0: Yes, of course I will. And listen, I look forward to seeing you in person at the 40th anniversary bash.
1: Yeah, you're going to be there on the Friday.
0: I guess I'm still deciding. I don't know exactly which day, you know, I will likely only go one of the days. So uh, I'll see between the Friday and the Saturday, but uh, hopefully I'll I'll catch you.
1: All right, hopefully. Hopefully I'll look to see you there. I mean, I'll try to be there both days myself. So, uh, and that's it. It's great talking to you. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to uh, still be a part of Fat Moose, even seven years after I sold it. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to being there. It should be a great, great couple of days yes
0: agreed uh well thank you again and uh listen for anyone listening please check out mighty moose on social media and uh can they order from you online do you do that
1: i i I don't have an online store but if you can't find something where you are uh we're at mighty moose comics at gmail.com send me uh you know send me an email let me know can i give you my phone number sure if you want to call Mighty Moose Comics in Bellevue, Washington, it's 425-643-9924. We're happy to you know help you in any way we can. But don't forget Sean. Sean at Fat Moose Comics, the original store. He'll be very happy to help you as well. <laughs>
0: well, there you go. Uh, well, thank <laughs> you again, Elon. Thank, thank you to you. the audience. Make sure You're that sure. you come back in one month for part three yeah. of Oldest in New Jersey. And until then, remember, don't be a flat squirrel. Support the show and receive exclusive bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Check out my Superman podcast, Digging for Kryptonite, A Superman Fan Journey, available on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to watch the documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, on Amazon, Apple TV, and CuriosityStream.